Good morning. My name is, well, some of you know. <laughs> My name is Rob. I've uh, been here at Grace for a number of years. I'm helping with some of the discipleship efforts this year, so really excited about that. Um, I did want to just kind of continue to extend the invitation for the college luncheon uh, in particular. We've, we've had a hand in that. My wife has got 10 lasagnas in the oven over in the East Sanctuary getting ready to go, so... Um, First things first, if, if, if you are, so it's, it's not, you don't have to be in college, right? You'd be taking a gap year, uh, you could be in the workforce, uh, you could be married, and in the, it's just it's kind of, the point is this kind of age range, right? 18, 23-ish, something like that. We'd love to host you. Um, we'd love to welcome you. Uh, some of you know uh, what, what Grace is all about. Some of you, uh, this will be new for you. You don't have to RSVP. Um, there's more lasagna than we can get our hands on. And, and if for some reason we have the delightful problem of an overflowing banquet, uh, we'll send somebody to gondolas and get more. So just, right, <clears throat> come on and join us. Uh, <clears throat> we want to help you guys even think about what it's like uh, for the local church to be a significant part of your life during this, this season of life. Uh, Eric's going to be speaking for us. Uh, you guys will really enjoy it. We've got a few fun things planned. If you've never been here before, it is in the youth room, and the easiest way to get there is probably just follow the herd. Um, but if you're not doing that, you know, you head out the back door here, turn left, there's a stairwell. At the top of the stairwell, turn right, walk straight, and you'll be there. Um, <clears throat> if that's you and you're here at the 9 o'clock service, that, that's okay. Just, you know, during the 11 o'clock service, go get a coffee, work on some homework, come back at 1230. And uh, join us, okay? We'd love to have you. All right, so uh, we are in Luke chapter 14. Kenny mentioned that. You guys can go ahead and turn there if you haven't done so yet. Uh, we're actually uh, continuing the same scene as last time. So uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 15. And, and it's just a, con it's a conversation that is continuing. Uh, all of this began back in uh, verse 1 of Luke 14, uh, where Jesus is on the Sabbath dining at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And, and, and Kenny pointed out uh, three things last week that Jesus was looking for because our passage is very much tied to the one from last week. I want to remind you what he said, and then we'll dive into uh, to our portion of the passage. So last week, Kenny said Jesus was looking for three things, looking for three things. Number one, he's looking for willing repentance Jesus is looking for willing repentance. Number two, he's looking for the fruit of humility, the fruit of humility. And number three, he said uh, Jesus is looking for the fruit of selfless giving. So willing repentance, fruit of humility, selfless giving. This week is the same scene, it's the same meal, the same conversation partners, and Jesus is still looking, right? Even to the point that he is going to extend a warning to those who are, who, who are not manifesting what he is looking for. But, but, but what's he looking for this week? He's looking specifically, I think, for two things this week. He's looking for, one, those who want to be at his banquet. They want to be at his banquet. But two, no, they don't deserve it. Okay? They know, they know, about, they, they know enough about him that they want to be at his banquet. They know enough about themselves that they don't deserve to be there. Okay? That's what he's... That's what he's looking for uh, in our passage this week. Last week, we saw that Jesus himself is the ultimate embodiment of the one who takes the lowest and the humble seat. This week, we see that he's the ultimate embodiment of the one who seeks those who cannot repay and know that 
about themselves. Uh, in, in, in many ways, our passage this week is really the outworking of verse 11, which was in last week's passage where Jesus talks about exalting the humble and humbling those who have exalted the self. So I want to read uh, our passage for us and then pray and ask the Lord's help on our time. Uh, we are in verses 15 through 24. However, because of, of how important verse 11 uh, is to our passage, I'm going to pick up the reading there, okay? Kenny preached this last week, so uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 11, read down through verse 24. Luke 14, verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And this next segment was also from last week as well. Verse 12, he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in, retu in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And then our passage, which is prompted by that last comment Jesus makes. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, that's Jesus is replying to this fellow. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we actually just uh, sang a moment ago, we ask that you now would give us ears to hear, to understand, to heed, and respond the, the invitation and the warning uh, that comes from Jesus in this passage this morning. Help us to wisely acknowledge your provision, appropriately acknowledge our need, and humble ourselves and turn to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story that Jesus tells, right, he, he's, this, this, this prompt uh, comes up. He, he has said, Jesus has said in verse 14, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Uh, and in verse 15, um, this, this fellow who's attending this, this meal says, you know what, I, I'd actually rather talk about that banquet than the one where you want us to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind he, he is, he's referring to the um, end-time messianic banquet. So these Jewish religious leaders are, are aware of this, right? This isn't, um, this isn't new information for them. They were anticipating being at this 
great banquet, this, this banquet to end all banquets. It, it's, uh, its teaching goes all the way back at least to Isaiah 25. You may want to take a look at that later on today. And this particular fellow says, you know what, uh, this, the whole you know, poor, crippled, blind, and lame thing is, is a little bit uncomfortable. Let's talk about the messianic banquet where we, these, you know, the, the religious leaders, will presumably be featured, where we will get the high seats close to the throne and the no counts, poor, crippled, blind, lame, either won't be there at all, or, or at least they'll be in the lowest seats and they, and they won't be. You know, let's, let's talk about the banquet where I'm important, right? Where I matter to the, what, right? So pretty clear so far, what, 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 what Jesus is laying down, this guy isn't picking up to this point, right? And so Jesus responds uh, to, his, to this fellow's comment, blessed is everyone uh, who will eat bread in the kingdom. His response is not to say there is no such banquet. He agrees that there is, right? He doesn't deny it, but he responds with another parable. On the one hand, affirming, yes, there is a great messianic banquet. Jesus wants to talk about it, and he believes that it is not to be missed on the other hand, Jesus is going to labor in the parable that he is about to unfold a warning and an explanation that the guys he's talking to specifically are in the verge of missing it, even though they think they'll be central to it. So the custom uh, that, that, that Jesus is, is uh, relying on as he, as he gives his response, right, you see it in verse 16 and 17, once a man gave a great banquet and invited many. The, the custom here is um, the, the practice of, of issuing two invitations to these, kinds of, to these kinds of gatherings. You can see the first invite in verse uh, 16. He gave a great banquet and invited many. And the reason that you would give an initial invitation is, I mean, you've got you to know the head count so you know how much meat to butcher, Right, you don't know how much drink, how, how much drink to, to provide, and uh, it's it, in some ways, in some ways, it's a little bit analogous to requesting RSVPs uh, for, you know, attending a wedding and the um, where you eat after the wedding is called a <laughs> wedding reception, that one, right? I mean, you got to know how many plates of chicken and veggies to order, so you ask for the RSVP. And it's, it's, it's analogous to that, and, and, and uh, so, so, so that's where the first invitation goes out. The second invitation you see in verse, in verse 17, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who are ready, come, uh, or who had been invited, come now for everything is ready. The, the second invitation is like, is like the, uh, the chef saying, soup's on, come and get it, you know, ring the dinner bell kind of thing. Um, the... The feast is, is prepared. It is now, it's now time to attend. And of course, like, so, so we know, even in our context, if you say yes to the RSVP, to the wedding and the reception, and you're going to have the chicken and not the salmon or, you know, whatever, if you just no-show at the last minute without a good, that's, that, that's at, at best thought of as pretty rude and, in, and inconsiderate. I mean, they probably paid... I don't know, what do they pay, $30, $40 a plate for the chicken and veggies? It's just, it's inconsistent. Much more so 
much more so in their culture, in their context, would it have been rude to accept the first invitation, I'll be there, and then to decline the second, particularly, particularly if the excuses are flimsy. And these are very flimsy excuses. They're, 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 they are, they're, they're, these guys are not even hiding the fact that they don't want to be there, okay? This is an affront to their host. So, so you see this in verses 18 to 20. Uh, the, first, the first fella says, uh, he says, I bought a field. And, um, you know, I said yesterday, yesterday I, said, I said I'd be there, but I bought a field and I got to go see it. Okay. Nobody buys land this way. You don't buy land this way today, but you definitely don't buy it that way in an agrarian context. Nobody buys land sight unseen on the word of the seller entirely, and then after the purchase, it's, it's, it's like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't buy your house that way. You wouldn't just say, ah, oh, you know, take, someone, take, take the guy's word for it, and uh, okay, sign sealed, let's go check it out. You would, so this guy is not saying, I'm going to go buy a field even. He, I already bought it, which means it's already been inspected. He's already painstakingly looked over every inch of that field to know that he wants to buy it. He doesn't need to go see it. He's basically saying, I don't want to be at your banquet. Second guy in verse 19 says, I've bought five yoke of oxen. That means he's rich. And I need to go examine them. It's the same story. In an agrarian context, you would not buy five yoke of oxen sight unseen and then go inspect your purchase. Uh, Ken, Ken Bailey said um, the analogy here would be, be a modern man phoning up his wife to say, honey, I'll be late for dinner because I just bought five used cars sight unseen, over the telephone, on the word of the used car salesman. <laughs> now I've got to run by the dealership and see if they'll crank. It's like you just, you, would, you wouldn't, right, again, again this, the, he, if he bought five yoke of oxen, he has already inspected them, tested them, observed them. He knows what he's getting before he's, so this is a cop-out. The third guy, verse 20, I can't come, I've married a wife. <laughs> He's not saying, I can't come to your festival because I'm having my wedding at the same time. He's already married. Okay? This also is, now, and some people are like, you know, they, they hear that one, they go, well, maybe, maybe that one's the closest to okay, because in the Old Testament, you get married, you're excused a term of military service. He, he's not being sent off to war. He's been asked to dinner. And at least, oh, just leave it at that. He's um, got married things to do and can't rearrange them. So there you go. <clears throat> I don't want to be there. That's what he's saying. What's the upshot of all this? Jesus is directly indicting the religious leadership to whom he is speaking. Right? These guys, 
the people at the dinner table with Jesus had accepted the first invitation to the Messianic banquet by way of Old Testament promises. They'd said, yes, we want to be there. The second invitation is now being issued. The Messiah is here. Jesus is saying, soup's on. Come and get it. And they are tripping over themselves to refuse him as offensively as they possibly can. The kingdom of Christ is in their midst and they can't see it. So these three guys with the excuses, they are ref- they're reflective of the religious leaders to whom Jesus is speaking. And they have, Jesus is, is pointing out to them, you, you guys have effectively decided that life in my kingdom isn't worth disrupting whatever low-grade stuff you got going on today. That is offensive, but more than offensive, it's foolish, right? This is, this is the banquet to end all banquets. It will be drenched with joy, delight unimaginable. He is literally at their table. And in the words of C.S. Lewis, these guys are opting for their mud pies instead. And so verse 24 comes into view, doesn't it? The ones who exalt themselves will be humbled by getting exactly what they choose. And that is exclusion from the banquet. So I have to ask, are you at risk of regarding Jesus and rejecting him like they did? Is something holding you back? from embracing his kingdom? Are there places in your life where you're living like you cannot be bothered by Jesus' priorities? To put it differently, is there something that holds a primacy in your life that would distract you from coming to this banquet? That can very easily be good stuff, right? Eric is going to put a very fine point on that next week. Well, thinking through those questions, it just I mean, there, there's, there's all kinds of examples that come to mind. One of them that came to mind was the, was the notion that, that, that you sometimes hear where, where people maybe say, you know what, I'll get around to doing business with Jesus after I get to have my wild and fun phase. Don't, this is not an insult. This is, think, more like smelling salts. That is a horrible miscalculation. If you, if, if you are thirsting for joy, there's no joy that will surpass that which is found at this banquet. Whatever other pursuits of joy you're committed to, they are child's play in comparison to the banqueting table that Jesus is spreading before us, right? <clears throat> and if the joys that you love are virtuous joys, that's what they're pointing to anyway. Right? right? Virtu- Little J, joy, is pointing to capital J, joy. And so if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we'll know what this is pointing us towards anyway. I, there's more to say, right? I, I, I know that, that, that many of you are, are Christians, and you have experienced and perhaps are experiencing now the reality that in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, Christians do not only experience joy, right? It's not, it's not all that is part of our experience. But Christianity integrates the whole range 
of personhood, including the entire canvas of human emotion, better than any other system, better than any other ism, right? Christianity has the capacity to integrate grief with hope and bona fide sorrow compatible with the deepest rejoicing. So down in verses 21 and uh, through, through 23, we, we encounter the issuing of some new invitations after all of these uh, cop-out excuses have been flung at Jesus. So, you know, what's going on here? They come in two waves. Uh, the first wave is in verse 21. Jesus, or the master, tells the servant, go to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. There, there we have, have them again. A couple things to note here. Uh, for, first, this is important. The refusal of the religious leaders to attend the banquet does not shut down the banquet. They've, they've sort of acted like this can't happen without them. And as they refuse, the party is carrying on. The banquet will not be postponed for those who are unwilling to come. Uh, the second point is that those invited in, in this wave, they come from the streets and lanes of the city. This is, this is the periphery, right? This is where the outcasts in Israel would be found. We're back to the theme of those who cannot repay. They're the ones who are being invited and welcomed in. Uh, they would have been excluded uh, from much of Jewish worship and, and community life, uh, perhaps is unclean. They recognize their need. And they humble themselves and they receive. It's interesting. It makes all the difference in the world. I may have said this before. I, I say this from time to time, but I think it, it fits, so... All the difference in the world between a person who is like actually physically blind but knows it and so, and so you know, appeals for appropriate help and a person, right, and, and, and a person who is blind and thinks they see. Those are, those are like the one, the latter category is way more dangerous. Than the, and, and, and so Jesus is contrasting, right, these religious, religious leaders think they have spiritual sight very confident and they don't see very well. Uh, the second wave of, of new invitations comes in verse 22 and 23. So, so in verse uh, 22, the servant tells the master that that's been done and uh, there's still room. So in verse 23, the master tells the servant to go out to the highways and the hedges and he wants him to compel people to come in that my house may be may be filled. That's what the master says. Most commentators agree that, so, 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 so now we're going to the highways and hedges. Uh, this is outside of the city. Uh, most commentators agree that this is the extension of the offer now outside of Israel to the Gentiles, which I'll say a bit more on in a minute, but that's, I think I'm looking at you, right? I mean, there, there may be an exception or two, but, but this, this, this secures your welcome at the banquet. Uh, we'll come back to that in a second. Um, okay, so the first thing here, right, we saw a moment ago that, that the banquet won't be canceled, but now, now, it's not only true that the banquet won't be canceled, but this banquet is going to be filled to overflowing. 
it's going to be a packed house. God will make sure that the messianic banquet that cosmically exalts his son, the one who iconically humbled himself, will be bursting at the seams. What's he saying here? Jesus will not be denied the praise that is due him. Full house. Second thing, uh, the use of the word compel. So he says in verse 23, compel people to come in. It's led people to, to wonder, are these guys showing the same kind of reluctance that the religious leaders were? Like, you know, what gives? Are they, why are they, why are they balking? And are they, are, th- are these, these guys, are they being dragged against their will to the, um, this, this is a different kind of reluctance than the reluctance that was shown by the, by the religious leaders. These guys, right, uh, highways and hedges, they don't think themselves entitled to be at the banquet. In fact, they are quite certain they don't deserve to be there. They are well aware they could never repay the debt. What they can't believe is that the Messiah would even take notice of them. So I was trying to think of like, what could we compare this to? And uh, if I have if I have my facts right, I, I believe the funeral for Queen Elizabeth is being held tomorrow. So imagine this. Um, imagine today the royal family reached out to you and said, "We have sent our private jet, and we would like you to sit with the family at." Queen Elizabeth's funeral tomorrow. Like, I don't know about you, but I, my, my response would be, like, they, 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 don't, they don't really want me. They don't even know who I am, right? How could they, how could they possibly want? There's something similar there. The, the incredulity that these guys are showing down in verse 23 is the incredulity of people who can't believe that Jesus really wants them at his banquet. And so it has to be, right? So, so, so compel, right? The servant has to press again and again and again. No, no, he, he, he really wants you there. Friend, if you get nothing else from this morning's message, get this. Jesus wants you there. The king of the universe wants you there. More than that, He died and rose in your place to secure your invitation. If it's true that verse 24 humbles the self-exalted, what we're seeing here in verses 21 through 23 is that Jesus is going to exalt the humbled. Uh, I I mentioned we'd say a little bit more about the, the extension of the offer to the Gentiles. That Again, for the most part, I'm assuming that's probably all of us perhaps some exceptions, a Messianic Jew among us, which is a delight. Uh, just a point of reference for later. It's, it's, it's easy for this to be really familiar to us, and uh, we don't need to become overly familiar with the awe of our inclusion. So just for later on, jot down Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Okay, Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. 
And it's a great reminder that we were outsiders and that Jesus shed his blood to bring us near who had been far off. So uh, here's the point. If you understand that you don't deserve to be at this banquet and that you could never repay his grace, you're so close. You're so very close. If you've never done that before, all you have to do is receive as his gift what you cannot repay. And we would love to help you do that today. Please, if that's the case, please speak to me, an elder, a deacon, someone on the prayer team after the service. What you're thinking, what you're still wondering, what questions you have, we would love to kind of be your guide into that banquet. Okay, so lang- compel language. Um, uh, how might this impact us? So, so, so as a believer, right? How does this, how does this help us think about engaging and evangelizing? Well, that's part of our mission of discipleship at Grace: engaging and evangelizing. Um, how, how might this help us think through whom we might take this offer towards? It certainly, again, it's not coercive language, but it is. It's persistent, isn't it? And not only is it persistent, it is persistent in particular towards those in this passage who feel certain that Jesus could never love them, that Jesus could not accept them. This is what, uh, what I sometimes uh, hear talked about as the problem of good. You've heard of the problem of evil, right? Everybody's familiar with the problem of evil. It's a, it's a, it's a challenging concept to think through and um, worth thinking through, and, and, and you know, I think we have some really good resources to think that through helpfully here in another context. I do believe the Christian answer to the problem of evil is the best answer. That's not what we're doing today. Here's the problem of good. The problem of good is experienced by the person who recognizes or feels that a God who is entirely good couldn't accept me. Because he is good, and I know enough about myself to know that I am not. Okay? In this case, right, the, the, person, the person dealing with this issue isn't just going, hey, you know, problem of evil out there. There's a problem of evil's in here. Here's the problem. Who in your life, who in your life do you know that needs persuasion that they have not defiled themselves? beyond the reach of Christ's love. Think about that. Commit to pray for that person, to persistently reach out to that person or persons this week. Uh, uh, Rosaria Butterfield um, has frequently said, this is just one example, uh, has frequently said that there can be real wisdom in reaching out to those whom we know who have broken themselves by inhaling the promises of the sexual revolution. In all of its many expressions, it's littered with broke, right, promises that it never intends to keep. And yet, and yet people who, 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 who swallow those promises in a variety of its forms come out the other side, dashed against the rocks of these, and, 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 then, and then it'd be very easy, right, in self-reflection to think I've, I've defiled myself. I can't be loved, right, you know? Of course, the point 
is that the only people who get into the banquet are those who don't deserve it. And so it would be worth, it'd be, it'd be worth thinking, and, and, and maybe that has application to how you perceive your own self. And so I think the Lord's Supper will be really encouraging for you here in a minute. But, but, but specifically, I'm thinking now in terms of our, of, our, of our outreach, who do you know that needs the reminder that for those who recognize their unworth, they're this close. They just have to receive what they can't pay. Uh, Rob Price, who's in the booth uh, this morning, a couple of Sundays ago, this is one other example. You can multiply the examples. Uh, but a couple of Sundays ago, he was preaching, and he mentioned uh, folks who are dealing with the, the grief of post-abortion guilt and post-abortion regret. It's, it's, not, it's not, not hard to imagine, right? Uh, again, um, just, just bitterly false promises, aren't they? And, 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 and someone, someone having experienced that, it's not hard to imagine. Or someone who has financed that or encouraged that, it's not hard to imagine the guilt, right, that would recur and, and, the, and perhaps the belief that, that uh, I'm unlovable or unforgivable. The notion that Jesus is eager to forgive and rescue all of us who have defiled ourselves in our sin can at times, to those among us, seem too good to be true. Praise God, it's not too good to be true. So who might you seek to persuade, lovingly persuade, this week? So then, uh, verse 24, we, we, we return at last to, uh, to Jesus' application of the parable. Okay, so this is where Jesus lands the plane. It is a final appeal, a final offer of mercy, but it is tinged with the smoke of warning. Those who refuse his invitation will not taste his banquet. And this isn't just like an artifact of the parable. Jesus is, he is very specifically turning to warn those at table with him. And by extension, us, uh, the word you, Y-O-U, down in verse 24, I tell you, it's actually plural. It's I tell y'all. Okay? In other, in, in other words, here's what it is. And it isn't, it isn't in the parable the master talking to the servant anymore. It's Jesus talking to those at table with him. And he says, I tell y'all, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Right? The parable gives way to its, to its meaning. And if we refuse we will also not taste. So, here's the question. Will you humble yourself this morning? Will you acknowledge your need? And will you come to him? That's the one thing of ultimate importance. How unwise would it be for any of us to walk out today prioritizing far lesser pursuits while ignoring the most important invitation of all? May God have mercy. With that, in light of the parable, it is urgent. It lands on a sober uh, conclusion, an urgent warning. It is also a great note to turn our attention to the, the taking of the Lord's Supper. Okay, we are in this, as, as we're, we're about to celebrate his banquet. The Lord's Supper is an installment of this messianic banquet that at one and the same time 
looks backwards and looks forwards, okay? It looks backwards to how Jesus paid the price that we can't. It reminds us how much he actually wants you there. And it looks forward to the final and everlasting celebration of the messianic banquet in the kingdom of heaven. Let me give a few guidelines uh, for, for thinking about taking the Lord's Supper and then just a quick reminder of our procedures. So this will be fairly quick. Number one, if you would still choose not to come to the final banquet, then you should not partake of this one. If that would be your choice. But guys, that's, right, that's utterly to miss the point, isn't it? The warning needs to be given but the whole appeal is to wake up and see that enjoying and delighting in his banquet in time and today is the one great pursuit to which all other pursuits should be subordinated. Reminds us <clears throat> that Jesus doesn't pay what you're owed, but he gives to you and I freely as empty-handed beggars in need. And if that's how you see Jesus today, that kind of giver, if that's how you see yourself today, then you're invited to this feast. If that's how you receive his mercy, then the good news is that your sin and guilt does not have the strength to deny your access. Not to today's meal, nor to the one it foreshadows. Third, if you have professed faith, but today you find yourself clinging to idols that are leading you to treat Jesus as inconvenient or as a disruptor of your agenda, lay them down. Lay them down and come to this feast. I would, I would recommend after the service is over, you, you can lay them down and come to the feast. After the service is over, ask for help from a member of the prayer team or one of the leaders in continuing to lay these idols down day by day. Because if you've been doing this for any time at all, you know that they can be renounced, but they will fight back, right? They don't like being renounced. And so we want to renounce them today and tomorrow. And okay. If you are unwilling to do that, the other warning that needs to be given is that Scripture tells us it is dangerous to celebrate the Lordship of Jesus by eating his supper on the one hand while intentionally making provision for the flesh on the other hand. Servers, you guys can come on up and take your stations. I'll say a word about the procedures, and then, uh, then we'll, we will commence with the supper. So as Eric mentioned, I believe all of the stations will be gluten-free. And there might be over here uh, some of the uh, unwrappable um, uh, versions of the elements. So hope that's true. Uh, when I'm done, uh, you'll come up at the time of your choosing to uh, the head of whichever aisle uh, you see fit. And you'll take a piece of the bread uh, and the server will say, Christ's body broken for you, and you'll dip it in the cup, and the server will say, Christ's blood shed for you. Um, and then you can take and celebrate. Uh, you can take it right there. You can take it back to your seat, pray with those around you if you wish. Uh, lastly, if you have children, if there are some children, I see a few among us here, and, and if they're not old enough yet to understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper, if they haven't professed faith in Christ, we would still welcome you to bring them uh, with you as you come to the head of the aisle, and our servers would be delighted to pray over them um, with you. Okay, so lastly, let me read to you from these words of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you are ready, come to the feast.